Hello and welcome from Kirkgate Church. Here are the intimations for the week commencing Sunday the 21st of March 2021. As always, an invitation is extended to join us either by video or phone for our Sunday service via Zoom at 10.30am. Joining details are on the website and in the Kirkgate Messenger and it will also be available to watch live via YouTube with a recording of it available shortly afterwards. The pre-recorded audio service is still available via our Twilio phone service and podcasting sites. This Sunday, our service will also incorporate the Sacrament of Holy Communion and you are warmly invited to join us for that and to have some bread and some wine or juice to hand for the Act of Communion. Another reminder that you can join us on Tuesday and Wednesday mornings every week for informal Zoom chat sessions between half ten and half eleven. Again, the joining details are on the website and in the Messenger. As you will have heard, the government has announced that places of worship will be allowed to reopen from next week. That's Palm Sunday, the 28th of March. Kirkgate will be reopening on that date with a service in the church hall at 10.30am and if sufficient numbers, a second service will also be held at 11.45am. As before, you must reserve a seat in advance by calling Mima McSpawn on 01294 That's 602 because our numbers are still extremely limited in the hall. The live online service from the hall will be available by via YouTube only and also in this phone service. The viewing details will be available via the website. During Holy Week, there will be daily services from Kirkgate from Monday the 29th of March through to Thursday the 1st of April. The service will be held online only at 7pm via Zoom and YouTube. On Good Friday, there will be a physical service in the church hall and via YouTube at half past ten in the morning. And on Easter Sunday, the 4th of April, the regular service will be held as usual at 10.30am. Please try and support these services if you are able to. We will once again be having our Daffodil Cross at the front of the church and it will be available from the Wednesday of Holy Week and we are inviting anyone to come along and add some daffodils to the cross during uh, the remaining days of Holy Week. Just come along, open the church gates and add the daffodils into the cross. Finally, articles for the next Kirkgate Messenger and the By Request programme are required by next Sunday, please. These are all the intimations. This week, our opening prayer is by Mary Stewart, the reading by Eunice McInnes, the sermon is by Andrew Bruce, and the communion and closing prayers will be led by Reverend Nigel Chicania. It will begin after the opening voluntary once again the Lenten hymn, 40 Days and 40 Nights. Thank you.
Good morning and welcome to Sunday the 21st of March 2021. As we might have heard by now, uh, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Who knows, maybe next Sunday we will be back in church. We can only pray. As we often declare every Sunday, this is the day the Lord has made for us. We rejoice and we are glad in this day. It is Resurrection Sunday. We remind each other that Christ is alive and Christ is in our midst. So why don't we draw near to God as we humble ourselves, as we shout in our homes, shouting for Christ is alive. As our call to worship this morning, these words are for our thinking. You have written your law upon our hearts and inscribed your love upon our lives. You have made yourself known to us in sign and symbol. In still small voice you call each and every one of us to you. In the center of our souls, through the song of your spirit, you call us to you. So we come, scattered, we come to worship you. For we are your people and you are our God. We worship God together as we sing hymn 694, Brother, Sister, Let Me Save You.
thank you very much, uh, Stuart, for that uh, lovely hymn. And now we turn to God in prayer as Mary Stuart leads us in the prayer of adoration and praise. Almighty and everlasting Father, as we draw near to you in prayer this morning, we ask you to help us to fix our minds and hearts only on your word to us, that we turn away from worldly distractions and hear your message for us. O Lord, our God, you alone are worthy of our praise. Help us to give you our thanks and praise every single day of our lives. You are the God who never fails to keep his promises. You promised that where two or three are gathered in your name, you will be in the midst. Lord, we thank you for your presence here with us right now, wherever we may be. We thank you that in Jesus' life and death and resurrection, we see your love and power and his blood shed for forgiveness of our sins. You are the God who created the earth in all its beauty. You are the God who put the stars in the sky. You are the God who the wind and sea obey. You are the God who lifts up those who are weighed down. You are the God who provides for all your children. Our desire is to praise you as long as we live. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us when we pray to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Our reading today is taken from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 1, and reading from verses 1 to 10. Hebrews, or the letter to the Hebrews in the King James Version of the Bible is attributed to Paul, but most modern scholars uh, believe that Paul was not, in fact, the author of it. We are not sure who was the author, and we know that it was written to um, a group of unknown Christians or maybe just an individual Christian. There's a tantalising bit in it that says, those from Italy greet you, leading us to believe that it possibly emanated from Rome, but we will never know. Anyway, it was written to these Jewish Christians to show how Jesus had replaced Judaism as God's perfect revelation of himself. That they were to hold fast to the concept of Jesus as the great high priest of God. It uses a lot of Old Testament quotations and imagery to show Jesus as the all-sufficient mediator between God and man. So we'll have our reading from Hebrews chapter 1, verses, sorry, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. And Eunice is going to read it for us. Every high priest is chosen from his fellow men and appointed to serve God on their behalf, to offer sacrifices and offerings for sins. Since he himself is weak in many ways, he is able to be gentle with those who are ignorant and make mistakes. And because he himself weak, 
he must offer sacrifices, not only for the sins of the people, but also for his own sins. No one chooses for himself the honour of being a high priest. It is only by God's call that a man is made a high priest, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take upon himself the honour of being a high priest. Instead, God said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. He also said in another place, You will be a priest forever, in the priestly order of Melchizedek. In his life on earth, Jesus made his prayers and requests with loud cries and tears to God, who could save him from death. Because he was humble and devoted, God heard him. But even though he was God's son, he learnt through his sufferings to be obedient. When he was made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And God declared him to be high priest in the priestly order of Melchizedek. We will continue to worship God by singing hymn 459 from CH4, which is crowned with many crowns, the Lamb upon his throne. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As I said to you before, we don't know for sure who 
wrote the letter to the Hebrews. But as the title suggests, it was written to Jewish Christians to make it clear to them who Jesus really was. The passage we read is really quite difficult to understand if you don't understand Jewish traditions and beliefs. So let's put it into context. In Judaism, the priests represented the people before God and they conducted rituals and they made sacrifices to atone for sin, particularly in the temple on the great day of atonement. The priests came from the tribe of Levi, one of the twelve tribes of Israel. The Old Testament tells us that Aaron, the brother of Moses, was the first high priest and his descendants were established as a priestly line. So the office of priest was passed on from one generation to the next. Now each sacrifice they made was a demonstration that the penalty of sin was death. There can be no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. Later on in the letter to the Hebrews, the writer says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Now, the priests had to make sure that the sacrifices were acceptable and that the rituals were carried out correctly. And in the early days, they also taught the law. In Leviticus chapter 10, it says that they were to distinguish between holy and unholy and between unclean and clean. Mind you, they themselves were not always that holy. Malachi, the last uh, book in the Old Testament, points to neglect and corruption and false teaching, such that people lost respect, not just for the men who were the priests, but even the office itself. Malachi says that God in his judgment, and he says this in chapter 3, says that God will suddenly come to his temple like a refiner's fire to purify the priests. Well, following this, we've got 400 years of silence, and then Jesus comes. However, things were different by Jesus' time. The, the chief priests took care of the temple matters, and the scribes and the Pharisees presented and interpreted the law. But despite their diminished role, Jesus clearly respected the office of priest. After he healed a leper in Mark chapter 1, he says to the leper, Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded. Clearly the leper was to witness in accordance with the, the law. The writer of Hebrews is making the case for Jesus being the ultimate high priest, above everyone. Moses, Abraham, the angels, the Lord. Now, what were to be the characteristics of a priest, or indeed the, the high priest? Well, first of all, he was set apart. It says in verse 4, no one takes the honour for himself, but only when called by God, as Aaron was. And verse 5 makes the point that Jesus was appointed by God. And there Psalm 2 is quoted. You are my son, today I have begotten you. The second characteristic is they must be one with humanity. Professor William Barclay writes of the priest that he must have gone through men's experiences with his sympathy must be with them. 
In other words, he must have an empathy. Where a noble priest is, according to verse 3, bound to offer sacrifice for his own sin first, Jesus is sinless. But because he has been a man and has experienced all the trials and temptations of the human condition, he can offer and sympathize with people. Verse 7 it says that priests should uh, offer up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. And it's saying this of Jesus. Clearly this is a reference to Jesus' turmoil and anguish in Gethsemane when he had tears of anguish, which we are told came out like drops of blood. But he suffered, and but he met it with reverence. He accepted what comes from God. And it says in verse 8 that he, through his sufferings, he learned obedience. Now at first sight this might seem strange because Jesus, we always believe, was obedient to God. But I think what this verse means is that through his suffering, he came to understand what was implied by that obedience, what he was actually going to face. Up until then, obedience to God had been something of theory. It was fairly easy. And now he's been faced with an awful prospect. The third point, or third characteristic of, is of the priest is that he is appointed by God. It's not an office that he takes. It's not a job or a career that he has chosen. We don't choose to do God's work. He chooses us, then shows us what the work is. So the writer of Hebrews is showing how fully Jesus meets the criteria for the high priest, the great intercessor. Then verse 9 it says, and be made perfect, and be made perfect. This is open to interpretation until we look at the actual Greek word that is used for perfect, and it's teleos. And it implies that he's perfectly suited to become saviour. When we say that somebody is perfectly suited to somebody, we mean that they are perfectly suited. They are ideal. They are made for the task. Then it has a a, a curious reference in verse 10. It says, He was made a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is uh, an interesting character. He crops up in Genesis. And he is clearly a man of God. And he meets with Abraham. And Abraham gives him a tithe, a tenth of all the money and booty that he took on his his war. And he meets him on his way back from rescuing Lot. And it's clear that Melchizedek is a very prominent character. In fact, the implication is that he's superior to even Abraham. The other thing about him is he has no predecessor, He has nobody following on from him that we are aware of. He's a one-off. And so they're likening, or the writer of Hebrews is likening Jesus Christ to him. There's much, nothing came before, nobody takes over from him, and he is ranked highly. Jesus is the, the high priest making a sacrifice for all people. And unlike a regular priest, it's not some animal 
of blood that he is sacrificing. It is himself. See, the Jews had to make sacrifice over and over. But the sacrifice of the high priest Jesus on the cross is the eternal sacrifice of the divine victim, done once in history and commemorated every time we have communion. Remember the body that was broken for us and the blood that was shed. It says in scripture that he paid the, the ransom. And the word that is used for ransom is the word associated with what was paid over to release slaves from slavery. So this is him paying the ransom to free us from the slavery of sin. Jesus' sacrifice is one that does not need to be repeated. The grace won by Jesus and the cross is infinite. There is enough to redeem every human being and liberating us from the slavery of sin for all time. And now, as a final word. Yes, we should feel joy, but we still need to be aware of what is expected of us. In the book, uh, the first book of Peter, the first letter of Peter, Peter is speaking to Christians much like ourselves. And he says to them, But you are a royal priesthood, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. And he could be saying that to us. You're a royal priesthood. It's incumbent on us as Christians to proclaim that good news. We are the priesthood that links God to all others. We don't have to sacrifice on anyone's behalf to make them right with God. We bring them to Jesus and if they have Jesus in their heart, the sacrifice has been made. And that sacrifice is the one that we celebrate today. Let us pray. We thank you for Jesus Christ who made that once and for all sacrifice on the cross for our salvation. And may we, as we approach your table, albeit virtually, remember his body broken for us and his blood shed for us. When we pray for others and the world, let us remember that in every sadness, O God, you are there, holding out comfort. In every darkness, O God, you are there, holding out light. In every fear, O God, you are there, holding out hope. In everything, O God, you are there, holding out love. When we don't know where to go, when we fear what lies ahead, when we long for what we knew, may we see you. Sometimes ahead of us, leading us, sometimes behind, nudging us on often beside us, accompanying us through it all. May we rest our weary souls in the balm of your grace and your love until we are renewed to carry on, following where you lead in steadfast love. And we thank you for all who put the needs of others before themselves, choosing to put another's welfare above their own comfort. We thank you for all who work continues to ensure that the hungry are fed, the sick are healed, the homes are sheltered, the poor are cared for, 
and those who in their everyday lives show you at work in the world. May our giving thanks, O God, be manifest in our playing our part where we can in the healing of your world, for love's sake. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, uh, Andrew, for such a lovely sermon and uh, a lovely prayer. May God continue to speak to us. And now, uh, our dear friends, we tend to to God as we sing together our communion hymn, hymn 19, Ye Gates.
as you listen, I invite you to set before you your elements of bread and wine as we prepare our hearts for communion. Beloved in the Lord, this is the table of our Lord Jesus Christ, who calls you to dine with him in this place today. Calling you, he invites you to find at this table strength to carry your cross. So come, all who are hesitant and dithering. Come, you who are sure and committed. Choose Christ, who has chosen you. Choose life, symbolized here in bread and wine. I therefore take these elements of bread and wine to be set apart from all common use to this holy use and mystery. Jesus constantly laid before his friends choices, the choice to remain or to follow, the choice to listen or to ignore, the choice to be blind or to see, the choice to be sick or to be whole, the choice of life or death. His disciples chose life. They followed. They listened. They saw. They were made whole. And even though they often faltered or dithered or forgot, Jesus didn't give up on, on them. He kept on holding out forgiveness and newness of life. And so, the night before he died, he gathered his friends around a meal, spoke to them again of the cross and invited them to remember him by choosing to share in this together. He shared bread, symbol of his body broken for the life of the world. He shared the cup, symbol of the new relationship with God. This table, friends, bears those symbols today. Before we share, let us give thanks. And we turn to God in prayer. God, we thank you that you never impose yourself on us, but gently, persistently invite us into a relationship with you. You invite us to choose life over death, to take up our cross and follow Christ. May we choose life for the sake of the world. God, we pray for our world in all its pain and suffering. We pray for all those who are every day forced to make hard choices for whom there is no choice. Those forced from home and family by war, by oppression, by danger, by evil or natural disaster. Show us how to restore the voices of those who are silenced along with the freedom of choice to choose to those who find themselves between a rock and a hard place. May your cross symbolize the way of suffering, carved out in love that transforms pain and renews life. May we always be willing to bear one another's burden, to lift up the suffering and to know the blessing of traveling together. We pray for refugees, for migrants, for all seeking a place to call home. May we choose to open our hearts to make room to share the road and to know ourselves taught by those whose learning is wrought through pain and hardship. 
May we choose life for the sake of the church and for the sake of you, Lord. God, we thank you for all those who have gone before us on the journey of faith. Those on whose shoulders we now stand. Those who surround us as we share this feast. May we always make space for others around your table. Where there is love enough for all. Give your church boldness and wisdom to proclaim the God who invites all people to choose life. May we choose life for our sake and for the sake of communities in which we live. As we go about our everyday lives, give us courage to serve and to be served. Be with those who we know, who grieve, who have lost the joy of living. Help us to put ourselves aside and sit with them until we are ready to continue the journey together with you. So choosing God as we come to this table today, may our choice witness to the hope we have in you. Send your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and wine that they may become life for all. Feed us here with strength to take up our cross and follow you every day. All this we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Christ's body broken for the life of the world. We eat together as we remember him. Now you take your bread and eat and share with those among you. And this cup symbolizes Christ's blood shed, reminding us of forgiveness and newness of life. We drink together as we remember. Let us pray. God who has fed us and confronted us again with our oneness with all the world, strengthen us to take up our cross and follow you. Help us to gather up along the way all those who fail and fall, all those who hesitate, those who are blind or sick and want to be whole. We who have choices, every day may we choose life with you, life in all its fullness for the sake of the world and the kingdom of God. Amen. Now we join our hearts together as we sing our closing hymn, hymn 557, O love that will not let me go.
Thank you uh, very much, uh, Stuart, for that lovely hymn. And now, as always, we tend to each other as we, as I declare the benediction. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. With that confidence and in that hope, let us go in peace to love and to serve the Lord all the days of our lives. And so may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the companionship of the Holy Spirit go with this, with us this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Amen.